Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host of this show. I talk about sex. I speak about sex. I write about sex at my blog, Fifty Shades of Pink. I also write about it on the WIN blog, which is the Women's Health Initiative Network. It's a national not-for-profit organization to raise awareness about below-the-belt issues for women, sexual health, uterine health, so fibroids. There's a survey on there. If you've ever had a fibroid, I would love to have uh, you complete the survey. So you can go to win.ca, W-H-I-N.ca. So we talk about sexual desire, bladder health, vaginal health, uh, so uh, by all means, go on there and, and uh, have a look. So my blogs will be there. And then different ones are over on the Fifty Shades of Pink, which is on my website, backtothebedroom.ca, which you can order my book there, too. The Vancouver Public Library just ordered it. So whoever went in there, all of my friends and relatives, and asked them to put it on their shelves, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I uh, might have to go pick it up just before my holiday. <laughs> Didn't I give you a copy? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> of course you can have one. <laughs> I'll be off for the next two weeks, so that'll be my goal. Next oh, time I'm back, I'll okay. have read the book. Perfect, perfect. You can order it on Amazon as well. Uh, it um, Anyway, so you can you can download it on your Kindle. Also, so, but whatever, I digress. So this sex thing, I talk about that quite a bit, and a lot of people come to me for sex advice. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and ma- mostly the most common uh, patients and patients that I see in my clinical practice are couples that are not having sex. And they have not been having sex for a long time. And I really make no innuendos, no judgments, but I'm kind of like, wow. You know, sometimes you got to think, wow, that's been a long time. But but what they're doing, I find, is, and I pick this up after about 10 minutes with them when they just start picking at each other and bickering and they're fighting back and forth and it's the same old same old argument and both of them are digging their heels in to the ground and they're never going to make way to the bedroom so if you had problems with finances for example you definitely would not come to me <laughs> let me tell you i cannot help Uh, that is my worst. Okay. But sex, yeah, come to me. I can help you. So there, you know, there's sex therapists that can help. There's lots of, um, uh, lots of different clinical counselors that, uh, may help, but you've got to go to somebody who has the skills to be able to help you. So again, although finances, I have to say, I have helped patients with finances as well. And, and they're mainly, which is really bad. If I'm helping you, that is so bad. Uh, I had a, uh, mostly they are like wealth management guys come into me and they're like, they're living well beyond their means and you know, they're, they're not having sex in their relationship. They purchased a $20,000 ring or a $60,000 car or a $500,000 cabin in hopes that she would have sex with him. It's happened so many times over. And they all admit to it. Yes, that's why I bought this particular item. Uh, one was a hundred and thirty thousand dollar car, uh, because I hoped she would have sex with me. They didn't say that at the time, but then they admit that in my office. So we're behaving in a bizarre manner, people. When there are simple means to actually get the sex you want, you deserve, you would love to have. 
So, but uh, going back to the finance guy, I mean, it was pretty simple, even though I have absolutely no skill in this area. Uh, he, I said, bring me in a spreadsheet, and I want to see all of your bills and what you pay every month. And he was deciding whether or not to uh, per- buy out his leased vehicle. I guess it was at the end of his lease. Uh, and it was actually going to, or buy a new car, which was twice the price. And he was at risk of losing his condo. And this is like four or five years ago. So look at the prices how the prices have soared in Vancouver. That would have been just such a lame move to have per- leased a new vehicle. So I did talk him into keeping the one he had. It was a Lexus. I felt so sorry for him. Uh, so it was probably like three or four years old by the time the lease had run up. And uh, and he was able to keep his condo. Uh, the marriage didn't last. <laughs> sorry. Um, so, you know, sometimes I help in some areas. and, and uh, But not everyone who comes to me, I don't give any false hopes either. I don't give any uh, anything unrealistic. I'm very practical. And I say often, you know, if you work with me, it's not going to be easy. I'm straight up. I may fool around here on the air, but I am very serious in the office. And I am, and I ask the tough questions and I ask the hard questions and I ask the real questions. And I really don't want people to, to be coming to me uh, needlessly for protracted periods of time, just to, you know, I am not looking, I have a long wait list and I am not looking to waste people's money. I am not, I am looking to get people back to the bedroom. Literally, I'm looking to get them to have a healthier sex life. Um, and that does not mean you need to come and see me 10 times. This is, you know, that's why that's my approach is, is pretty tough. It's based on a clinical model of sex therapy that I use and and people get results one way or the other fairly quickly. If they do the work, they have to do the work, and they have to be able to have a, a fairly thick skin, maybe as thick as a rhinoceros to deal with me. You'd be surprised. But I say directly to people in front of the person that they're not having sex with, like, why have you stayed in this marriage for 15 years and you haven't had sex? So tell me what that's about. Why, why do you feel that you don't deserve sex? Why are you beating your head against the wall? And, you know, people get so frustrated, especially men, when they're not having sex. And women do as well when they're when they're when the desire discrepancy uh, is higher for them than it is for the male partner in life. And this, of course, happens in same-sex dyads as well. Nobody is immune. So one thing I've been noticing a lot over the years is when it comes to love, we turn to our egos to make decisions. We come, we utilize our ego um, which does not have any relationship skill. Our ego has no relationship skills. The ego tries to manipulate as a means to give and to receive love. So it's really a manipulative tool. The ego is there to help us protect ourselves. So the ego will resort to resistance, defensiveness, arguing, fighting, bickering, sarcasm. I mean, seriously, I'm sitting there and I'm feeling horrifically guilty. As you know, I'm an Irish Catholic nurse and I am guilty all over. Uh, and I'm thinking they are spending money just to bicker back and forth. And I literally have to sometimes say, stop it. And I want to say, you are wasting your money and your time. They're putting each other down. They're, they're saying, well, you did this and you did that. And it's back and forth and it's unbelievable. And it can actually lead to depression, withdrawal, aggression, I I mentioned that frustration, which you see also passive aggressiveness and a passive aggressive personality is the most 
it's one of the most difficult personalities to deal with. It can lead to revenge. Next week I have a lawyer coming on. It's not about, uh, he was saying how people, um, when they are, you know, in, in um, living in stratas and they, they're maybe the dryer next door is too loud and they may have a few sleepless nights because the dryer is too loud and then they resort to this bizarre behavior where they find themselves, with, you know, in their robe in the middle of the night with a broomstick banging on the... <laughs> condos roof next door uh you know and the same thing if people are ruminating about their relationship or they're upset or they're trying to avoid sex or they're trying to get sex they can become they can um, call upon revenge and so it can be a revenge sex so they may have an affair out of revenge uh, there can be disrespectful gestures, this blaming. That's the other thing. I always say to people, do not blame. There's no blame game for me in my clinical practice. And in fact, if they try to blame the other person, I say, there's no blaming here. You need to look at yourself. You need to take responsibility. What is it that you are doing that is contributing to the uh, lack of sex in your marriage here. Resentment builds up. And often when I ask people to take responsibility or look at themselves and say, what, what is the problem? They'll be just like, I, I have, I've done everything. I've done all the housework. I've bought the car. I've, I've, uh, I do all the kids. I work. She stays at home. She does nothing or, or vice versa. Or he just sits there and drinks beer and, and has the remote control and has his friends over and I do everything for them. So, uh, that's you have to get out of that get out of that way you've got to actually instead of bringing your ego to this situation so i've given you enough of a what the negative uh, aspects of the of bringing the ego to the relationship is and now i'm going to tell you what you need to bring when i return i'm Maureen McGrath you're listening to the sunday night sex show here on news talk 980 cknw Hey, how are you? Hot just like an oven? Ugh, it's hot in here. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980. CKNW, we're talking about conflict resolution in your relationship. And when you turn to your ego to make your decisions rather than your spirit, which is what I think you should bring, uh, things just go down a bad path and you may never resolve those relationship issues. If you have a question for me, give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can always email me, sextalk at cknw.com. I will be reading your emails a little bit later on. But uh, right now, we reviewed the, uh, if, you, if you're just joining me, just catch up here. We reviewed when the ego is work is at work in conflict resolution, especially if you're not having sex in your relationship. And it's never going to work if you bring your ego into the bedroom, <laughs> or at least into the clinical practitioner's office, because uh, the ego may leave you judging, criticizing, putting down, ridiculing your lover, your the lover you want to be your lover, who's not being your lover, uh, flatline behavior, uh, you know, giving up, which is basically just giving up and uh, just trying not to raise the other person's wrath. You're walking on eggshells, that kind of thing. But our spirits, that's what you should really bring to conflict, conflict resolution. And we don't think of our spirits. We don't think of calling upon our spirits. Uh, but our spirits, that's what, that which lies within us, utilize the relationship skills of acceptance, wisdom, intuition, forgiveness, apologizing. This is my favorite. Understanding all behavior has a reason. Allowing, adjusting, 
compromising, becoming creative, serving, which, you know, doesn't necessarily go along with what I usually preach, but uh, in this context, I agree with it. Being discerning, moving away from, taking responsibility. This part is huge. You know, you have so much more respect for somebody who can actually say, I did this, I made a mistake, uh, with no ex- no excuse. Like, you can't say, I'm sorry, but the reason I did it was because blah, blah, blah. A real apology, really taking responsibility, has no excuse attached to it. You want to learn. You want to grow. You want to trust. You want to trust again. You want to be able to be assertive, and you want to be grateful. And to be honest, our spirits are love. They're capable of loving and deserving of loving naturally. This is where you don't need any manipulation. There's no place for manipulation. And these are qualities of real relationships. And if we just remember, just think, okay, you know, somebody has to actually stop you, one or the other, or perhaps a therapist, and just say, you know, stop this, basically. Stop this bickering. Stop this being at each other. Stop this throwing your arms up in frustration. Stop this about to blow up. I see a lot of guys who come into my clinical practice, and they are literally about to blow up because they haven't had sex in a long time. They've not gone outside of the relationship. They want to have sex with the person they're in the relationship with, and it's just not happening. And it's amazing how many years and years this goes on. And and even with my TEDx Stanley Park talk that I gave, I've had countless emails, phone calls, um, looking to book Skype appointments uh, from all over the world, from San Francisco, New York, Hamilton, Ontario, Tunisia, Dubai, uh, Brazil, Argentina. I've had um, calls and emails and uh, asking to book people commenting. You can go to the uh, YouTube and see people are in marriages where they've not had sex for 15 years, 26 years, 25 years, 13 years. I mean, they're, they're all confessing. This is a problem, but is the solution in the fact that we're bringing our egos to the this conflict versus our spirit? So what I advise is to just stop, you know, just literally stop what you're doing. Look at yourselves, you know, maybe laugh a little bit and just realize just how long that you've been doing this insulting and offending and arguing and putting your stake in the ground Stop and take a deep breath. Drop inside and access courage, calm, love, gratitude, and breathe these qualities out through your being. Look at your relationship. Value it. Understand that you want to work on this one because you can very easily go to another one, but you are going to have the exact same problems if you don't resolve through love and through calmness or a sense of calm, through courage, through through just that uh, consideration and compassion. Choose your words. Thoughts and actions need to be aligned. And honestly, if you make these simple changes, you will see just how quickly your relationship will change. It's really, you've really got to spin, you know, uh, just 
turn things around literally and just be loving and realize that this is not that other way, that egocentric way is not getting you the results that you want. And both of you have to change and never think you can change anybody else. You can never change anybody else, but you can change yourself. And when you change, miraculously, the other person changes or you see a change in the other person. But it's really that you have actually changed. Okay? So that's my thing. Do not bring your ego. Bring your spirit. Bring your loving, caring, wonderful, beautiful spirit. Try and think back of when you first met and what that was like. And, you know, put all those problems aside. Forget cleaning the house. For You know, let somebody else hold the baby. Let somebody else uh, do some something for you. Don't, don't always be the martyr. Anyway, so that's my take on ego versus spirit. Okay? Uh, so we're just going to go on to the next thing, Matt, I was going to tell you about. Um, this is the my TEDx Stanley Park talk. And I have to say, I've just thoroughly enjoyed all the comments on it. And I'm responding to every single one of them I love so when far. you come to me with comments of listeners, so I'm <laughs> eagerly waiting. <laughs> There's a few I can't even repeat. And I know that... Well, the- we can talk about those ones after the show. <laughs> all right, I will. Well, I mean, some of them are hilarious, but I, I, I um, am afraid people will take it the wrong way. I just think it's so funny, but I have that sort of sense of humor that... Um, but this one I thought was fantastic. And he wrote, um, uh, I, I made a joke about a man cult, you know, for richer or poorer um, something. You know, we're marrying for richer or poorer uh, sickness and in health. That, that was long before you ever witnessed a man cult. And for all of you out there who have never witnessed a man cult, you consider yourself lucky. I've been told that I suffer from man cold. Oh, well, I think every man suffers from man cold. So this guy writes, um, I know it's a joke, but at 614, you mentioned man cold. I really hate this pejorative term. If you enter into a relationship where you both don't do 70%, 30% on some days and 30% on others, then you're just doing it wrong. Women should never let a man get away with not pulling his share of the chores. Just like in the bed, if my wife does not get to orgasm, I don't consider my contribu- contribution, if you will, to making love adequate. Okay, that's fantastic. So I, I see, obviously he's having sex and that's great. And he goes on and you can go there and read it more. But I said, glad you got it on many levels including my man-cold joke. And then I said, seriously, man, have your mom take a selfie of the two of you next time you are sick. (laughs) (laughs) And he writes back, I'm sorry, selfie with my mom? (laughs) I'm not 12. (laughs) I was laughing so hard. I had an 84-year-old patient laughing on the floor laughing in my office. Can't see how that would be at all elucidating. I'm certain anyone ill won't appear at their best. The man cold connotes a whining brat in my mind, and certainly we both know that's the intent. As someone who works primarily with children, I don't enjoy being hit by the myriad of bugs they bring into the room, and when they eventually take their toll on me, I'm out. But the last thing anyone would want to be told is that it's merely whining as they're in the steam shower trying to kick the bug while the women are cleaning the house. They have the flu, a fever, cleaning the house, doing all that. I don't mean to offend you guys, but even this, men will still want to have sex. They just want the women on top. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host. This show is sponsored by Gynotroph. It's a long-lasting personal moisturizer for women for vaginal dryness, vaginal itching, and burning associated with vaginal atrophy. I am a registered nurse, a blogger. I blog at Fifty Shades of Pink. Feel free to go to my blog and read about uh, the emails that you send me. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, but I do get a lot of my patient stories from, uh, or my blogs from my patient stories, and I often will ask patients, is it okay if I write a blog about you? And they say, yes, as long as you don't mention my name. People want to be anonymous, and I always respect that, unless you cross me, of course, and then I, no, I don't. I would never do that. Anyway, nobody can cross me. Don't you worry about it. But you might cross your partner in your relationship. And so fubbing is the modern way to kill your relationship. Cell phone behavior has been linked to depression and lower relationship satisfaction. And it's these cell phones that can be damaging romantic relationships. I actually see people and they're out for dinner. They are walking or, you know, walking together. They're pushing their babies with their husbands, partners, whomever. And they're on the cell phone. They're in. They're in Starbucks, and they're on the cell phone. I've been in a relationship because of the, the. My partner was on the phone all the time, and I mean, like even minutes after sex, like. Well, ten percent of uh, of people check their smartphones during sex, and thirty five percent immediately afterward, and that can be a real turnoff to go straight to. I mean the. The um, checking the smartphone is the new cigarette. Yeah, I don't really want you to damaging. Instagram what just happened. Like, <laughs> be in the moment, please. Exactly. Yeah, and I think people are sharing way too much online. You know, I I'm actually sick of it. I'm sick of Facebook, and I'm tired of seeing um, people's dinners. Like, who cares if somebody flew somewhere? I do not care. There's so much bragging on there. I think their lives must be so dull, and they're not in the moment. They're not actually enjoying their moment. We really don't care about where they're going, what they're having for dinner, what they just bought to wear to a meeting. I don't care. We don't need to know what Shane Foxman ordered at McDonald's. We do need to know that. That's for darn sure. (laughs) I like that. Uh, No, um, but cell phones, you know, are really impacting romantic relationships. I think they're actually cutting into romance big time. And there is a new leading study that shows depression is the end result. Uh, researchers looked at the impact of snubbing your partner to look at your phone. That's essentially what happened to you, Matt. And they dubbed this fubbing, phone snubbing. Dr. James A. Roberts, the study's first author, said that they discovered when someone perceived that their partner fubbed them, it created a conflict and led to lower levels of reported relationship satisfaction. And the lower levels of relationship satisfaction led to lower levels of life satisfaction and ultimately higher levels of depression. Of course, you would feel badly. I mean, you're losing your lover to a device, a very beautiful looking device, I might add. <laughs> no, there is a device that I'm, I've been asked to assess. And I said, I think Apple must have done the design on this device. Hopefully, I'll be able to tell you about that device in a couple of weeks, but it's beautiful. Uh, but examples of fubbing are uh, the partner places his or her cell phone where they can see it when the couple is together. So it's always right there. The partner keeps his or her cell phone in their hand when he or she is with the other person. This one is key. And you can tell when people are, I mean, even in my clinical practice, 
if if I'm delayed by one patient to go out to another patient, it's almost not even a worry anymore because you go out there and they are on their phones. The patients are on their phones and they're just, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for you. And they're like, oh, just a second. And they're just sending a text. You know, it's unbelievable. And, and also during the visits, the, their cell phone will ring several times over. Like the first time you can just like ask them to turn it off and then they don't even turn it off or they don't think to turn it off. So whatever happened to the sign in the doctor's office that says you're not supposed to use your phone, is that just for being polite or are there actual things in the doctor's office that will go off if you use your cell phone? No, you know what? In fact, in the hospitals, they have that as well. And it, it was meant, it was intended to make you feel that, you know, somebody's ventilator would stop if you had your cell phone nearby. But none of that is true. Well, it was the same like flying it's with... Fine. Uh, phones as well and now uh, yeah. you're allowed to use your phones yeah. in certain airlines i think it's because um you know it's it's really out of uh respect and and decorum in this uh, high-tech world but uh so when you're with somebody and they are literally glancing at their phone the entire time it, it's very disconcerting and it's an uncomfortable feeling or if there's a lull in the conversation and the partner checks his or her cell phone during that time. The survey, which included 145 people, found that 46% had been fubbed by their partner, 23% this said this fubbing caused conflict in their relationship, and 37% of people felt depressed at least some of the time. You and I were talking about Tinder before, and you said you'd gone back on Tinder. I am back on Tinder. You're back Thank on you Tinder. Thank you for letting everybody know. Newsflash, Matt is on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> but you were finding exactly what uh, another new study found that it's associated with people on Tinder are actually feeling higher rates of depression. And you were saying it's making you feel uncomfortable and not depressed. At yet. first, it's like, oh, this is great. I'm talking to somebody. And then I, it, it just it always ends up to the exact same thing of just really shallow conversations. E- exactly. And so that makes you feel uncomfortable or uh not happy after a few days. And then you were saying that there are people selling things on Tinder now? Yeah, well, it seems like every like every fourth person is trying to sell photos or videos. And you can kind of tell because they're the ones that are be like, oh, hey, sexy. I mean, girls never approach me and say, hey, sexy, so... Oh, come on. I don't believe that for a second. Come on. (laughs) Online, anyways, before they've met me. You need more ego and less spirit. Anyway, I never thought I would suggest that to anybody. But uh, no, in fact, uh, these uh, in everyday interactions with significant others, people often assume that momentary distractions by cell phones are no big deal. But the findings of this research study suggest that the more often a couple's time spent together is interrupted by one individual looking at his or her, attending to his or her phone, the less likely it is that the other individual is satisfied in the overall relationship. So think about that. This study was published in the journal Computers in Human Behavior 2016. So when I come back, we're going to get to a uh, a really sad and tough subject, and that is the male survivors of sexual abuse. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're, I host this show every Sunday night. I come live to you. And, uh, you know, some of the subjects, some of the sexual health subjects need to be delivered with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor. It makes people more comfortable because sex is still such a taboo subject. But some of the subjects are really difficult and very painful, even to discuss, even for me. I see these patients, I see these patients whose lives have been disrupted by unwanted 
or abusive sexual experiences. We often associate this exclusively with women. We talk about violence against women, sexual abuse of women. I certainly talk about it a lot. But we don't often talk about the fact that one in six men have been sexually abused before the age of 18, according to oneinsix.org and research by the CDC as well. Conventional wisdom about sexual abuse limits and distorts people's understanding about men's needs, safety, and vulnerability when they've had a confusing or abusive sexual experience. There are lots of things that qualify as unwanted sexual experiences, even if at first a boy or a man was grateful for the attention. It could include an experience that a man may not be ready to label as abusive or even understand how it might have been. There is healing. Healing may begin when he recognizes the possible connection between those experiences and common reactions. Reactions that often lead to rocky relationships, lost jobs, addictive habits, depression, and even violence. There are a number of extremely unhelpful myths about sexual assault and the rape of men. Some of these are commonly accepted myths, and they make it difficult for a man to publicly name an experience of sexual assault or rape. And the myths minimize the seriousness of this crime, and this is a crime. And they also help persons that perpetrate sexual violence onto our children, onto our little boys, to evade responsibility for these criminal acts. And these myths also can affect the way a man feels about himself following a sexual assault. They may prevent him from seeking assistance and may also influence the way that he is treated should he come forward and ask for help. These myths do not come out of nowhere. They're kept alive and they circulate within our society by the way we talk about them, the way we write about them, the way we act, and how we deliver service responses. Actively challenging these myths is something you can do because these unhelpful beliefs fail our boys and men. We need to assist Men and women and all children, of course, who are subjected to sexual violence. And one of the things is to watch out for these myths and to dispel these myths. And if somebody mentions one of these myths that you're going to learn tonight, you can speak up. So the number one myth out there is that men can't be raped or sexually assaulted. And of course, the reality is that men can be and certainly are sexually assaulted. Any man can be sexually assaulted regardless of their size, their strength, their appearance, their age, their occupation, their race, or sexual identity. We often uh, task men with there being the stronger sex and they're bigger. And so we have this idea that men can't be raped. And it's, un it's tied to the unrealistic belief that men should be able to defend themselves against an attack. Well, there's no child that can defend themselves against an attack. No child is big enough. Children are vulnerable. Children are scared. There's another myth out there that only gay men are sexually assaulted. Any man 
can be raped, whether he identifies as straight, gay, bi, transgender, or fluid sexuality. Rape is an act of force. It's a crime. It's coercion where someone's personal choice is ignored. It's the same as being robbed, but you are robbed of your soul. It doesn't tell you a thing about somebody's sexuality, neither does rape. But research does suggest that gay-identifying men are more likely to be the subject of sexual violence. What does that say about our society? There's another huge myth out there, and that is that it is gay men who sexually assault other men and boys. This is not true. Most men who sexually assault other men identify as straight. There's also a myth that men cannot be assaulted by women. That is not true either. The reality is, although the majority of sexual assaults of men are committed by men, women do sexually assault boys and men as well. Sexual assault is not always enacted through overwhelming physical force, but it can involve emotional manipulation, fear tactics, scare tactics, or coercion. A man can be coerced into sexual into a sexual act out of fear of potential repercussions for his relationships, his work, etc. There's another myth. That is that erection or ejaculation during a sexual assault means you really wanted it or consented to it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Erection and or ejaculation are physiological responses that can be induced through manipulation and pressure on the prostate gland. Some people who commit sexual assault are aware how erections and ejaculations will confuse a man, and this motivates them to manipulate their body and penis to the point of erections or ejaculations. This is also a way, a manipulative way, to increase the rapist, the sexual assaulter's feelings of control and to discourage that reporting of the offense. Especially little boys are told, if you tell anybody, I may kill your mother, I may tell people you wanted it. There's such a fear that uh, is instilled in these little boys. There's another myth, and, and I've heard this so often, that people will think, I asked for it, or he asked for it. Sexual assault is a sexual act perpetrated without full and free consent. And consent means to say yes to something. I had a patient in my clinical practice who was sexually assaulted by his father until the age of 14 when he's, or earlier when he had started to become confused because he had feelings toward women. And he said, but that's the wrong way to have sex. I was taught that the right way to have sex was with a man. He didn't realize he was being raped. So another myth by his own father, another myth is that most rapists are strangers. The reality is most men know the person who assaults them in some way. Often he or she is very well known to them. They may be a friend, a father, a neighbor, a boss, a relative, an uncle, an aunt, a brother, a sister, a partner, or an ex-partner. They may be somebody at work. They may be a doctor. They may be a teacher, a psychiatrist, a police officer, a clergy, or a public servant. A sexual assaulter can be anyone. There's another myth about rape. Some people physically can't commit rape. A, physical, a person's physical strength has 
no relationship to this rape or this sexual assault. Another myth is that men and boys who sex men who sexually assault boys cannot control their sexuality. People can control their sexual desires if they want to, however strong they might be. No desire gives anyone the right to violate and abuse another person. So these are just some of the myths surrounding this horrific malignancy in our society. And as a result, many boys grow up to be men who are incredibly troubled. And unfortunately, we're getting to, uh, we're coming to the end of the program. So we're going to have to uh, continue this next week, and we're going to go online and uh, see, find some places where boys and men can get help. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKN. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show. We're wrapping this baby up. I do have an email from John. John writes, Hi, Maureen. Could you refer a sexual surrogate in the mid-Vancouver Island area? Also, what would one expect to pay for this service? John not my real name. No kidding, John. Uh, <laughs> but John, I actually have your real name because it came from your email, but that's okay. <laughs> I won't tell anyone. Uh, Central Solutions, they can actually connect you with a sexual surrogate in the mid-Vancouver Island area. And I think you would expect to pay between 100 and $300 an hour for this service. So uh, good luck with that. I have another email from Bill. Hi, Maureen. I'm a 50-plus man, single dad, healthy, and not bad-looking, if you do say so yourself. Starting to venture into dating game, having more time because kids are older now. In your practice or experience, are you are you finding that middle-aged women have become frigid? Because <laughs> that's what I'm finding, he writes. Prefer women in my age group, but if no sex, no relationship as far as I'm concerned. Now I understand the cliché of older man, younger woman. The standard explanation is a lie. Guess I will just have to be cliche. Perhaps you're not meeting the right woman. Not all middle-aged women are frigid, okay? But mostly, to be honest with you, um, I do have a lot of women in my clinical practice who are married or in a relationship, and their standard response is, if I never have sex again, it won't be too soon. And then the couples that are in my clinical practice... They're not having sex. And then a lot of the guys that email me, they're not having sex because their wives or their partners don't want to have sex. So you know what? Uh, it's a it's a very common. It's not normal because I uh, a lot of people have commented on my TEDx Stanley Park feed and they've said, well, you know, this is normal, but it's not normal. It's common. And so that's uh, that's the difference. And it relates to. Uh, sex education of women. Uh, women are not educated about pleasure, and women are not educated. Uh, it's it's different. Men and women, and they, and the fluidity, and all of that. There's and people are different. So everybody needs to be educated about pleasure and about what feels good, and and uh, how to you know practice takes perfect. And so you either practice with yourself or you practice with somebody else. Here's another email. Hi, Maureen. I'm a bisexual male and I've not told my girlfriend that yet. When she is away on business, my friend, he comes over and we have sex. How do I tell my girlfriend I want to keep dating her and explore my sexuality and have sex with my male friend once in a while? She is the love of my life. Also, any advice how to get my sex life back with my girlfriend. We have not had sex in three years because she has a small child. 
<laughs> I think you've answered that yourself. And uh, I, I would say explore your sexuality. I think it's always the best to be honest in a relationship and open and find the right words and use your spirit. Don't bring your ego to that conversation. And, uh, and I think she has a right to know that uh, you are sleeping with another man, not sleeping with her. I did have a couple in my clinical practice. It's very common as well. Not normal, but common once again. And I said if he did have an extramarital affair, and they had not had sex for about 12 years, this particular couple, I said if he did have sex outside of the marriage, would you be upset? And she said she would kill him. And she literally had daggers in her eyes. And uh, is it fair to impose fidelity on a person who is deprived of sex from their spouse. That is what I will leave you with. Uh, coming up next week, I think we will address this hyperandrogenism. It's a great and very interesting subject. Requires some background information. Well, and- I still have a lot of questions as well. There's yeah. a lot of unknowns. There's really only the one athlete that's that's competing right now. Yes, and so that's Castro Semenya. That's right. So, but uh, there's a lot of background on that, and not all medical information that may be of interest to you. Uh, so we'll address that. I'm also going to be talking about strata sex with Paul Mendes. <laughs> He's a lawyer from Lesperana Mendes Law Firm. Uh, So he's going to be joining me in studio. We're going to be talking about that. Don't forget my Vancouver Women's Conference. Mark your calendars. November 12th, that's coming up. When you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. You can head to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Now, all of you, get out there and break some hearts. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show. Thanks so much, Matt, for all your help tonight. It's been great having you. Thank you. All right. Until next week, have a sexually healthy week.